0: Hello, my name is Jody Lee Mott, and welcome to Dream Gardens where we talk up the kids books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, I interview other kids books enthusiasts such as writers, teachers and librarians about their own favorite children's books. I've been starting the podcast with a poem for the past few podcasts and generally speaking, I've tried not to match up the theme or subject matter of the poem with the particular book being discussed. Not because it wouldn't be a good idea, Uh, But I just don't have the kind of time that would require. Today, though, the theme of the poem I'm reading and the topic of the book being discussed do happen to match. But that's really more about a pleasant coincidence than any forethought on my part. Today I'll be reading Down the Drain by Nikki Grimes. Uh, Nikki Grimes has written numerous books for children and young adults. Uh, She's the recipient of the 2017 Laura Ingalls Wilder Medal, the 2016 Virginia Hamilton Literary Award, and the 2006 NCTE Award for Excellence in Poetry for Children. This particular poem is from the verse novella, What is Goodbye?, which was written in 2004. The novella features alternating poems from a brother and sister uh, who happen to be dealing with the death of a sibling. Down the Drain by Nikki Grimes I draw a sailboat, Jaron steers I wave from shore, I draw in tears I draw him sailing farther out, too far to hear me scream or shout. I draw him smiling, it's okay, I draw us meeting again some day. The fist inside me opens wide, and out falls all the hurt inside. I keep on drawing out my pain, until the worst flows down the drain. My guest today is Denise Vega, author of such books as Fact of Life Number 31, Click Here to Find Out How I Survived 7th Grade, and her latest book, which is a picture book titled If Your Monster Won't Go to Bed. You can find Denise's website at www.denisevega.com. Thank you for joining me today, Denise.
1: Thank you, Jody. I'm really excited to be here. I really appreciate uh, you getting in touch and us being able to have a little chat.
0: Now, I mentioned your picture book uh, that just came out, If Your Monster Won't Go to Bed. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: You bet. It's uh, it's been a really fun read-aloud book. One of the things that was kind of funny in my evolution as a writer is um, years ago, I had done a book event with two other friends. And the book that I was reading from is one of my books called Grandmother Have the Angels Come. And it's kind of a serious take on aging even though it's a picture book. So when I did this event with the friends, I asked them if I could go last because one of them had a really funny, silly book. The other one had this incredible Scottish accent. And I said, I don't want to, I don't want to, I actually go first because I don't want to follow either one of them. So when I walked out of that event, which actually went very well, the kids were wonderful. I thought to myself, I really want to write a fun read aloud book. It took me a long time to get there, but if Your Monster Won't Go to Bed is a is a result of that, finally, after all these years. So it's it's basically a, a little how-to on uh, if you struggle with putting your monster to bed, these are the steps to help you make that happen.
0: And have people who have read the book gotten back to you about, have they found it, it worked pretty well with their own children? <laughs>
1: Yes. Um, It's funny how the parents, when I do a story time, the parents are kind of chuckling and nodding along and uh, the kids are wondering how they can use it. You know, I always ask the kids if they have a monster at home and uh, sometimes we get to, oh, my dog can act like a monster or my big brother can act like a monster. So we have fun with that.
0: Now, I understand there's a lullaby as, as part of this book that you share with the kids when you do a school visit or uh, do a read aloud at the library. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, thanks so much for
1: asking about that. In the book, there, one of the things that you do at the end is you sing in the key of Screech, Shockabye Monster. And that, that, of course, was a play on Rockabye Baby. And so I do this sort of rap version of Rockabye Baby with Shockabye Monster and it's kind of like a call and response with the kids. And it's really fun. Always gets a good response. And it kind of gets the kids energized after they've been sitting there listening to the story. So it's been a lot of fun to do. In fact, I just did an event this past Saturday. And the uh, kids were all in costume. And we had a lot of fun with the uh, Shakabite baby. Or Shakabite monster, excuse me.
0: Now, this is a picture book, but you've actually written uh, a number of different books for different age levels, uh, middle grade books, as well as young adult books. And I'm wondering, how is uh, writing a picture book different from those other, writing books for those other two age groups?
1: That's a great question. And I used to joke when I I taught my classes, my picture book classes, that it was easier for me to write an 80,000 word teen novel than an 800 word picture book. Mm. And of course, it Obviously, it's shorter. There are things about it that are, quote, easier, but the idea of trying to tell a story in a very limited amount of space has been one of the most exciting and challenging parts of writing for me. I really like that aspect. And there's some things that are the same. If you're writing a, what I would call a narrative picture book, a basic story with a beginning, middle, and end, and a protagonist trying to reach a goal or solve a problem, the plot points are very, they're the same whether it's a picture book or a novel. So, in that regard, that's really great. The planning of, of the story is very similar. And the other thing I've found is if I've been working on picture books for a while and then I switch to working on one of my novels, I find myself really aware of extra words, fat, where I'm going off on a tangent. Uh, so, that writing those picture books and being concise really helps me with my novel writing.
0: Because my understanding is that with a picture book, every single word counts and matters, and you have to be careful not to include even a single extra word.
1: Yes, that is absolutely true. And and theoretically, that should be true in novels. I, I think it was Elmore Leonard who said, I, I don't write the parts that people will skip or something to that effect. And I think with novels, every word should count too. But you are absolutely right when these picture books are so short, and every word hopefully does double or triple duty for you as a writer. That's what I really try to do is make sure that each word counts and is doing as much as it can for the story.
0: Now, the book you chose is one of your favorite kids' books is The Thing About Jellyfish by Allie Benjamin, and this was published in 2015 by Little Brown and Company. Uh, for readers who haven't had a chance to read this book yet, what can you tell them about it?
1: One of the things I love about this book is it's incredibly literary but also incredibly accessible and it it touches on so many themes and i think different things that that kids go through during this really tough time in middle school and the idea of not being heard feeling invisible not understanding when a friend friendship changes uh, not sure if if something is wrong with you Uh, communication. There's just so many things about it that are absolutely stunning in terms of, as a writer, I love it because the writing is absolutely gorgeous. It's beautifully written. The characters are all so well drawn and it's amazing. But I also think just on a story level, it's incredibly relatable to kids. Uh, I do think some of the science which she is so involved in might put some readers off, some young readers, but I just found it an absolute delight to read. I was just, I loved every word.
0: <laughs> and could you just briefly summarize what the basic story of the book is?
1: Sure, sure. So I don't know how I should couch it so I don't give too much away. But, but another thing that's really great about this book is the author does an incredible job of, of leading us to each point in the story that we start learning about what's going on. But the main character is, is Susie or Suzanne. And, She and her friend start kind of going different directions. Her friend is wanting to be with the popular group, and Susie doesn't really understand and misses her friend. And we find out at the beginning of the book that her friend Franny has actually died in a drowning accident, and Susie can't believe it because Franny was such a good swimmer. And so she's trying to wrap her mind not only around the death, but also some of the things that happened as their friendship disintegrated and what she herself, Susie, did to Franny and cannot undo before Franny dies.
0: When I was reading this, uh, the first book that I thought to compare it to uh, was obviously a Bridge to Terabithia, because both books deal uh, with a grief that follows the death of a, a friend. But there are some real key differences, and I think two of the big ones are when in the book the death p- takes place, and uh the state of the friendship when that happens as well, if you want to talk about that a little bit
1: right, that is exactly right, so with Bridget Terabithia, obviously the death doesn't happen until much later in the story. Those two are friends have been friends, and if I'm remembering correctly they they go over to their imaginary Terabithia when it's one of them I think it's she goes when it's it's the weather's bad, and all of that and and of course, with the thing about jellyfish. We know right away the the friendship, the friend has died at the beginning. We know that right away. And they are not friends. They're estranged. And so in many ways, the thing about Jellyfish is not only her dealing with her grief, but also this incredible guilt she feels. And I think there's some guilt in Terabithia, but not, I don't think, to the extent that Jellyfish deals with guilt and, and trying to answer the unanswerable.
0: Susie, the main character in the book, a lot of people do try to reach out to her and help her, uh, but she's very alone in this book in many ways. Sometimes and often deliberately so. And I'm wondering if that is, in a way, to convey this sort of uh, feeling of grief that sometimes it feels like you're all alone. And in some ways, you know, in this case, she sometimes uh, deliberately puts herself in position to be as alone as she can.
1: Absolutely. I think you are right right on with that comment that she she does put herself in that place and feels like no one else can feel the way she does and and I remember the scene when she's at the funeral and she's very angry because other people these friends that she didn't the popular girls are crying over Franny's death, Susie can't even cry and she's very angry at them for crying for knowing franny well enough that they can cry about her and again once again this isolation that you're mentioning just comes right through in that scene she's just really completely and feels isolated and and almost unworthy i think of crying for this girl who she was really mean to
0: now she sets up this sort of wall uh, around herself and and Very few people can get through, but one person is actually able to, uh, this uh, boy Justin, who she meets at some point. I'm just wondering if you can talk about what is it about Justin that uh, enables him to break through in a way that nobody else seems to be able to? Yeah,
1: that's great. I I know that the teacher breaks through a little bit, but Justin, she actually talks to him where she has this self-imposed silence, as you you said, and she does that very deliberately. She's not going to speak unless she really has something to say. And when she, after she gives her presentation on jellyfish to her class, people make fun of her. They call her Medusa because her hair is really crazy. But Justin calls her Belle, and she realizes that it's because of the bell sh- part of a jellyfish. So he really paid attention to her talk. He drew jellyfish and gave her jellyfish. And when she makes that connection, she realizes that here's someone who actually is being nice to her in a sincere way, and maybe he deserves a chance. So I really loved that the subtle way that teeny tiny friendship unfolds, and she opens it just a crack to let that possibility of friendship start to bloom.
0: Now, later in the book, Susie makes a decision to do something, a big dramatic gesture that she thinks is going to solve. And I don't want to say what that is. But uh, when you look at it objectively, it's it's you know, as an adult, it's a terrible idea, and you know it's going to be doomed to fail <laughs> at the same time there's part of you that wants her to succeed, even if it you know it's it's not a good idea but what do you think? Did you get that same feeling
1: yes, I, I did, and I think it comes at least for me it comes from that feeling I have a very clear memory of my childhood, which may be why I write for kids, and that feeling of powerlessness that adults make so many of the decisions for us. And for her to concoct this plan, um, there was a big part of me that was like, yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, you want to see her follow it through because it's it, she's convinced it's the solution to everything. And it would be interesting to see what would happen if she was able to make it
0: happen. Now, there is actually a, a second book that this book reminded me, and this may sound a little strange, but it's an adult book, uh, uh, Moby Dick. And now let me explain what I mean by that. Moby Dick, there's, of course, the story of Ahab and all that happens there, but there's a lot of just information about whales and whaling and whale lore. And in this book, uh, along with the story of Susie and what happens to her, there is a, a lot of information about jellyfish. Uh, outside of a science book, I don't think you could learn more about jellyfish than you could <laughs> in this book. Now, I'm wondering, did you feel you did you learn something interesting about jellyfish yourself in reading this?
1: That's so funny that you say that because the first time I read the book, I immediately hopped on the internet. Whenever she would mention something, when she mentioned the the stinging, and I can't, of course, I can't remember the name of the uh, particular jellyfish, but this the the stinging one with uh, Jamie, the scientist that she starts to research about just I wanted to hop on because I knew it was real so of course I had to go look at the video that's mentioned in the book and I did learn some things My my daughter happens to be be a marine science major at the University of San Diego so she's very into all kinds of marine life so not that I, I knew a ton of jelly about jellyfish from her but I did know some things and I definitely learned just this the idea that it could it keeps stinging even after it's dead. And this, the whole idea of how they reproduce and just kind of things just like there's tons of things floating in the water that are jellyfish. And I've been stung by jellyfish, so I could relate to that. Uh, but it was, there's a lot of really great information. And she does it in a way that I didn't want to skip over it, where I think kids may or may not skip over that. But it's so much a part of. Who she is in her journey, this, all, this whole jellyfish thing that I feel like I don't want to miss any of that just in case I miss something that told me more about her.
0: Now, at first, it might seem that a jellyfish is a strange animal that chooses to be the focus. But as you read more of the book, it seems uh, perfectly natural that jellyfish would be uh, the animal that uh, Susie would gravitate. What is it about jellyfish that makes them such an ideal animal for this particular
1: I think their transparency, that you don't see them. They're almost invisible in the water, and she feels very invisible. That's one thought that I had. There's also somewhere she talks about the venom and how the smaller, no, the more vulnerable the animal, the more venomous they may be. And I wondered if, you know, that was something else that she connected with and thought that maybe she was venomous in a way that she didn't even realize.
0: Obviously for kids who have gone through similar circumstances who have felt a loss in some way uh there's a lot they could identify uh with in this book and books like it but what do you think kids who haven't had that experience in life uh what might they get out of reading uh such a book even beyond just the idea of what grieving is is there um maybe I'm thinking like ideas of friendship and things like that or friendships coming to an end
1: I would say absolutely and um, just based on what, watching my own kids at that age going through the, those experiences and myself as well, just people changing in ways that mean you're not really capable of being friends anymore, you're just not compatible, I think that's a huge one that especially at this age, the idea that you want to belong, you want to be part of whatever in-group is very, very big (laughs) in middle school, and so that whole piece, I think, is incredibly relatable, and the idea that, you know, getting laughed at, or what, not only did I say the wrong thing, but am I the wrong thing, which she says directly in the book, she wonders, am I wrong, not just did I say the wrong thing, but am I wrong, and I think kids go through that something wrong with me that people don't like me or people don't understand me and that whole piece in some ways for me and maybe it's just because of what i went through when i was that age that in some ways was stronger for me in this book than the actual grieving part of the book
0: are there any uh, particular passages from this book that stand out for you that you'd like to share
1: i have a couple of them that i would like to share and it's it kind of goes to what you're you just asked about in terms of how can kids connect to this book if if they haven't experienced uh, maybe the death of a friend. One of the things that Allie Benjamin does so beautifully is allows her character to make observations that may sound like, wow, how could she really know that? And yet they feel true that a seventh grader could identify that. And so I'm going to read a couple of them. One is on uh, page 12 early in the book. They're visiting the aquarium Um, she's visiting the aquarium with her class and towards the end of the chapter she says, sometimes you want things to change so badly you can't even stand to be in the same room with the way things actually are. That is so poignant to me because I don't know how many times I've felt like I wish I could just crawl out of my own skin because whatever situation I'm in, I didn't like whether I created it or not. And I just found that so powerful. And then another Later on in the book, on page 134, she says, if people were silent, they could hear the noise of their own lives better. And she's so aware of what's going on around her because she has chosen to be silent. And it's an amazing idea to think about that. We often want to fill the silence with conversation when, in fact, by being silent, we not only may hear the noise of our own lives better, but we actually may hear Another person better, because we have stopped talking, and we've allowed them to share something of themselves
0: that's interesting she is sort of a, a character's a combination of being very aware, uh, but at the same time uh, she is uh, not entirely self aware at least until the end of the book about what's really going on with her
1: yes, and that's something that was really interesting to me too, because when her when she's sitting at the table when and her friend Franny is starting to gravitate to these more popular girls, she follows her initially and very reluctantly to this table with the other girls and says all the wrong things um, according to, you know, the world that they live in and this, you know, these middle school girls. And the idea that she doesn't recognize that, that she's just being herself, is Really, I thought really interesting because then Franny basically turns on her and says, Why do you have to be so weird? When this is always how Susie has been and suddenly it's no longer acceptable. And I just, I loved that piece. So she's, she's on the cusp there, but she still doesn't know why. What she said was, why was that so wrong? And then later, I think she starts to make those connections. But initially, she's, she just knows she said the wrong thing, but she doesn't know why it was wrong.
0: Denise, thank you so much for taking time to talk with me about this book and share it with people who maybe haven't had a chance to read it. I really do appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Jody. It was awesome. I loved your questions, and it was a lot of fun.
0: You can find Denise's website at www.denisevega.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music titled All Together is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art is provided by Creative Pro 180, courtesy of Fiverr, which can be found at www.fiverr.com. You can visit me at jleemott.com or follow me on Twitter at DreamGardensJLM. JLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. Until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading.